arts, culture, and entertainment in the Coachella Valley. This is The Desert Scene with Bonnie G from the Mutual Broadcasting System. Here's Bonnie. And welcome to The Desert Scene. We're happy to have you here today and very, very happy to welcome to the show uh, award-winning film director Mark Saltarelli, uh, who's got a great film as part of the film festival this year called Studio One Forever. Hi, Mark. How are you? Hey, Bonnie. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So tell this is so, a lot of buzz about this, and I know you, you've sold tickets out a long time ago. So tell us a little bit about this film. Okay, uh, for those who don't know, but a lot of people, at least gay men in Palm Springs, are, are very familiar with the place. Uh, Studio One was the first major gay disco uh, that existed in West Hollywood on Robertson Boulevard. Uh, it was uh, started by Scott Forbes in 1974, really at the, the start of the gay revolution and, uh, and gay rights movement. Um, and it existed for nearly 20 years until 1994 uh, when it closed. So it saw that entire era of, of gay liberation. And then, of course, the 80s came in and it saw the, the tragedy of the AIDS crisis. And mm-hmm. it became a kind of an important uh, place for AIDS fundraising. In fact, Joan Rivers hosted the first fundraiser there. And, you know, people don't remember that it, the times were so different, mm-hmm. even in the 80s. Uh, she had death threats. Uh, wow. They threatened to bomb the place. I mean, just because she was standing up for uh, gay people who were dying. Wow. So, so is this, was this a sort of a seed germinating in the back of your brain for quite a while that you wanted to do a film about this uh, iconic place? No, actually, uh, well, I, I had actually visited the place when I moved here around 1984 to L.A., um, uh, and I visited it. I recently come out uh, and went to Loyola Marymount to finish my film education. And on weekends, I would go and just kind of watch uh, this thousand people mm-hmm. <laughs> play disco, dancing mostly with their shirts off. Uh, yeah. Little did I know that all of these years later, um, I would meet Lloyd Coleman and Gary Steinberg, who were producers uh, uh, Monday Night Live at the Backlot, which we'll get into. Um, and they were sort of planning a reunion celebration before the, the building was uh, to be torn down. And my friend Clifford Bell, who I think you know. I, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so I have to say, he, uh, without his referral, none of this would have happened. Uh, he referred me to Lloyd, and we started talking, and um, the rest is kind of history. And, but in my research, I found out, you know, so much about this place that I had no idea, and actually very few people n- knew about the history. Uh, but it, uh, yeah, when I went there in the 80s, I thought, oh, this is kind of a, a ripoff of Studio 54. And what I found out is that it was the inspiration for Studio 54. Oh. Uh, Steve, uh, Steve Rubel and Halston actually were friends of Scott Forbes, who started Studio One. Mm-hmm. They visited and probably three years later, they opened Studio 54. Interesting. A similar concept, yeah. but in a way, Studio One was just for gay men. Uh, Studio 54 was not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't without its issues. Uh, it, there were protests because they Scott wanted it to be for gay white men. Mm. So he discouraged uh, people of color. He discouraged women with their door policy. Uh, so uh, we, we cover all of that in the film. 
Yeah, I wanted to ask you, to, to make a documentary of, of this sort of scope, um, there's a lot involved. So you, you had to do a lot of research, did you, and track down and do interviews from people that were there, the people that started it. I mean, that's a, that's a big project. Yeah, documentaries, you have to be careful when you start them because mm-hmm. you're going to have to live with it for a long time. I mean, uh, I started this back in 2019. Uh, fortunately, uh, there were these uh, two women who spearheaded uh, the Save the Factory website when they found out that a developer was planning to uh, uh, tear the building down to just demolish it and put in a you know, billion-dollar uh uh, development on Robertson and they kind of came out of the woodwork and this is our present day storyline they came out of the woodwork and, and uh, petitioned the city council and said you can't tear this place down it means our it's our past it's our youth it, it, there mm-hmm. was just this incredibly special place that that had in their hearts and in their minds and so what they managed to do is to uh for the developer to agree that they would not tear it down. And since the building, this old factory building was the first one to be built in modules, it, they were able to actually take it apart in pieces and it's stored somewhere and it will be re rebuilt. Oh, that's as great. Part of the development. Yeah. That's if they fabulous. actually do it, but it's still a hole in the ground. Um, yeah. So, uh, so uh, Lloyd, came to me i i researched these two women's uh work uh to make it a historical preservation status uh it's it's all online uh there were like 60 pages of the entire history and after i read that i realized i mean it was like reading a great book or a screenplay and i Mm -hmm. thought my god nobody knows about this history and yet it was really groundbreaking Mm -hmm. and uh, part of the reason i haven't mentioned yet is the back lot uh, which was sort of a New York-style cabaret club that was uh, in the back of the place. And um, in 1975, Cheetah Rivera was uh, working on the rehearsals for the original Chicago with, with right. Ben Burden and, mm-hmm. and Bob Fosse. And Bob Fosse had a heart attack, as we know the story, yeah. uh, in the middle of that. And so the, the production was shut down for like six months. And they were all out of work and Liza, her, her friend, uh, suggested that she do a one woman show. They did it in New York and then Liza brought it to Scott Forbes who booked her. The backlot was not doing well. Nobody really cared about the shows they had before Cheetah, mm-hmm. but Liza invited all of her friends <laughs> to Cheetah's show and the place just took off. And throughout the rest of the seventies, it was, the toast of the town with uh, stars from, you name it, from the golden era, Cary Grant, Jimmy Stewart, Betty Davis, uh, would go to this place, this gay bar, this gay disco, and see the friends. And yeah, So it was this mixing of these two worlds mm-hmm. for the first time. And I, I, personally, I can't help but think that just experiencing, you know, gay people, may have led to them bringing that into the work that they did and the acceptance and the understanding that trickled out to the world and kind of helped uh, gay people 
have some humanity. Yeah. That's how I see it. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the famous. So, did when when Cheetah brought her show there and that re- reinvigorated uh-huh. those types of shows, then were were there more heterosexual people coming, or was it still just kind of a gay place at that point? Oh no! Uh, for the backlot, yeah, every every uh, quote unquote heterosexual star uh, okay. uh, had no problem going there. Okay. Uh, and the ones who were in the closet maybe had a little bit of an extra enjoyment <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, privately. Uh, but some of the stars would, you know, uh, go and dance in the disco after seeing a show. Excellent. Yeah, our film uh, talks about when Geraldine Fitzgerald, who was in uh, uh, with Betty Davis in uh, oh, Dark Victory, uh, mm-hmm. She was uh, performing at the back lot, and Betty Davis introduced her. And wow, we have, we have photographs of that. Alan mm-hmm. Eichler is one of our producers, and and that's his segment. And it's 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 so incredible that the whole town, every gay person in town, came out to see you know Betty Davis right. uh, introducing Geraldine. And I, there's this incredible photograph of her smoking in the back lot. I mm-hmm. mean, it's like from All About Eve that, you know, it's exactly yeah. that. Did you find, was there uh, was there a wealth of f- uh, photographs and that kind of thing for you to work with uh, um, put in putting this film together? Yeah, that was the long process of, of finding it. Uh, the One Archives uh, at USC is sort of the place uh, that collects a, a lot of stuff. And they had a box of uh, materials from Studio One, but but not really a lot. Of, you know, certainly not video footage because you know everybody, for the most part, was in the closet back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but over time, uh, when I posted that I was looking for stories and people, and you know, people came out of the woodwork and sort of sent me videos. Uh, Chris Brooks, who runs the Studio One Facebook page. Uh, had this incredible VHS footage of the dance floor. Uh, and then Alan Eichler, I, the hardest part was finding material from the 70s, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Alan just showed up and had these photos of that night with Betty Davis. And so so we had that covered yeah. in, in an extraordinary way. That's one of my favorite sequences, actually. Yeah. Um, is there is there a a main narrator throughout this whole film, or is it just diff- different people talking on, with different stories? Uh, well, there are certainly main characters that we mm-hmm. follow. Uh, mm-hmm. Michael Coase, who was the front bartender uh, for for many many years, there uh, we follow his story, and uh, I say he's the heart of our film. It's a little bit heartbreaking. Uh, his story. Um, uh, we have Bruce Valanche, who is uh, sort of a a main narrator and David Delval as well, uh, who I interviewed multiple times and had them kind of piece together things that, you know, the interviews didn't, didn't fully express. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, we have Cheetah in the movie, which is pretty amazing. I got to interview Cheetah. Well, it sounds, and how, how long does the film run? How, what's it running uh, 96 time? minutes. Okay. 96 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I know, and I believe it's sold out now. Is uh, people that are not going to be able to see it while it's here, will it be available somewhere else down the road, Netflix or streaming, or so some other folks can see it? Yeah, we have a sales agent who's uh, working on that now. So um, if people would like to stay in touch through the either the Facebook page, 
Studio One Forever, or, uh, or there's a website, StudioOneForever.com. Okay. One is spelled out, Owenie, and uh, and just keep keep track for updates. Hopefully, we should have a streaming deal at some point soon this year. My real hope is that we get it out for Pride Month in yeah. June. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I just want to mention one other quick. I'm looking at your bio real quick. I want to get this in. Also with producer Michael Childers, your short documentary, I Knew Andy Warhol, was the centerpiece of the Warhol exhibit at Home Springs Museum of Art and won Best Documentary at the Hollywood Real Independent Film Festival. So yes. some great credits here. Well, Mark, thank you so much. This sounds like a fascinating film. I, I snagged it. I'm going to squeeze in. Thank you for squeezing in for a ticket for me later this week. I'm really excited to, to see it. Um, and best of luck to you in the future, and thanks for being here. Thank you so much. And, you know, there is a standby line, so there's a good chance you could probably get it. Okay, excellent. That's good to know. Okay. All right, Mark Saltarelli, thank you, and we'll see the rest of you the next time on The Desert Scene. This program was produced by the Mutual Broadcasting System.